Well, if you have your Bibles uh, open there, keep them open as we uh, look at uh, Matthew chapter 9 together and we'll come back to that Ezekiel passage as well uh, in a moment uh, as we have a look at the Bible together. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you because you are a God who reveals the truth of yourself to us. We praise you that in your word, the Bible, uh, we learn uh, what it means to follow you, what it means to be your people. Help us to uh, understand what we read today and help us to uh, see how we might be growing as followers of Jesus uh, because of what we read. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've just spent the last couple of weeks celebrating the most momentous event in the history of the world, uh, the birth of the Saviour who is God and the hope and joy and salvation that he brings. This is the most important message that anyone can ever hear. Uh, we put quite a lot of planning into the last couple of weeks. We had our carols and then our Christmas Day service yesterday. Uh, a lot of people heard the good news about Jesus and this is the kind of effort that churches all over Australia who are putting in to sharing the gospel at this time of year. Uh, and the temptation after Christmas is, is just to take the foot off the pedal, uh, move on to the next part of life, the next event, the next area of focus. Uh, that's certainly what the world does. Uh, you go to the shops today or tomorrow and you'll see all the Christmas decorations have been taken down and in their place, advertising for the Boxing Day sales, Shelves full of New Year's Eve stuff, everything you need to keep on celebrating. Uh, it'll be Valentine's Day after that. Uh, then the Easter eggs and hot cross buns will come out. The, the carnival just keeps rolling on. The world moves very easily from one celebration to the next. Uh, and even when they are celebrating a, a Christian holiday, Christmas or Easter, well, it's really about the marketing opportunity that they represent. Christians, on the other hand, uh, never move on from the message of Christmas, uh, or of Easter for that matter. Uh, while the world shifts its attention elsewhere, we know that the message of the birth of the Saviour, his saving work in defeating sin uh, on our behalf, well, that is always the most momentous news uh, that anyone can ever hear. It's news that we celebrate daily and which we uh, seek to share daily. And our task is to look out uh, over the masses who don't yet believe it and, and to keep looking for opportunities to share, to keep bringing the attention of the world back to the Saviour who was born you know, 20 centuries ago. That, that's certainly what the Gospel of Matthew keeps doing, uh, coming back to this good news. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 is another extended dialogue from Jesus. Uh, so the second of the five distinct discourses uh, from Jesus, often highlighted as key instructional material on the nature of discipleship. Uh, first we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, uh, over several weeks. And now Jesus stops for a moment again and gives his disciples some crucial teaching, crucial information uh, before sending them out on their first mission, so to speak. Uh, their first foray without him, it seems, into the world. Uh, to preach the kingdom to the people of Israel. Not everything that we read here at the end of chapter 9 and chapter 10 uh, will be directly applicable to us as Christians today. 
Uh, not all of Jesus' instructions can be translated to directly to Christians today, and we'll see that as we go along. But there are key principles for us here as we think about how to keep bringing people's attention to Jesus as we think of how to share the good news of the kingdom. Uh, one of the first things we notice as we read this section of Matthew is the emotional response Jesus has to the people who come to him. Jesus has been continually traveling among the villages and towns, preaching the good news, healing people's illnesses, uh, as we've been reading in chapters 8 and 9. And then in chapter 9, verse 36, we read this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Jesus is busily making his way around the area, uh, seeing lots and uh, heaps of people. Everywhere he goes, it seems, there's, there, there's great need. Uh, you imagine he could get quite tired, a little bit jaded with it all, but no, not Jesus. Clearly, Jesus... Uh, worked hard, he saw many, many people, but his response, most of the time, his response, as Matthew tells us here, is compassion. Uh, Jesus has compassion on the Jewish people because they have no hope, they have no leadership, they've lost direction. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's a, a very apt description, very neatly describes the situation uh, for the people of Israel at the time, the fact that they have no good, wise and compassionate leadership. Uh, in fact, for a long time, uh, at this point in time, they've had terrible leaders, bad leaders who've mistreated them and who continue to lead them poorly and even mistreat them in Jesus' day. Uh, and what they're waiting for, what they need, is a good shepherd, a loving and compassionate leader. That's Jesus the Ezekiel passage we read earlier describes all the people as a flock, the people of Israel as a flock. There are some among them who treat the rest badly, some who ought to be leading and caring for others, but instead, as the metaphor goes, they drink the best water themselves and muddy it with their feet so that the others can hardly drink it. They enjoy the good pasture and trample the rest so it's hardly edible for the rest of the flock. This is a... The, Picture of a flock of sheep harassed and helpless, the strong exploiting the weak. Uh, and this was the situation for Israel in the prophet Ezekiel's day, not long before the exile to Babylon. Israel were a nation whose leaders were not fit to lead, who ignored God and his rules, who failed to lead the people in the right way, uh, who simply used the flock for what they could get for themselves and eventually led the people to, to be conquered and exiled. <laughs> And through the prophet Ezekiel, God says to the leaders of Israel, this isn't good enough. Uh, this is not good enough. Look at a few of the verses there again with me. Ezekiel 34, verses 20 to 24. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you shove with flank and shoulder butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
God promises to save his flock, to save his people Israel. He'll, he'll take away those worthless sheep who take advantage of the rest of the flock uh, and he'll place his own shepherd over them. God will give them a king in the line of David uh, who will tend them like a shepherd should tend his flock. Uh, Matthew has already told us that Jesus is the king in the line of David. Uh, Jesus is the one God sent to shepherd his people, the good shepherd, the shepherd who loves his sheep, who will even lay down his life for his sheep. Uh, and so as the shepherd God promised he would send, uh, well, Jesus has compassion for his flock. As the good shepherd, Jesus has compassion. That's the first principle uh, we can apply to ourselves today as we look out into the world and as we notice the masses of people who need to hear of God's kingdom, we should have compassion. And when we look out into the world and see streets and suburbs and cities and nations full of people who don't know God uh, or don't follow God, perhaps those who are either ignorant of God or, or those who are actively rebelling against him, as we look out into the world, uh, and, and see this, we should have compassion. Uh, those who don't know God are, are like the sheep without a, shepherd, uh, without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless because they haven't yet accepted the lordship of the good shepherd, King Jesus. They may not always look harassed and helpless. Uh, they may look like they have it all together or they may look you know, foolish or arrogant or violent or proud. Uh, they may be actively ridiculing God, even persecuting his people. We may find uh, them very hard to take sometimes, uh, easier to avoid than to get alongside. But actually, however they look, however they present to us as Christians, the reality is that they're lost, helpless in the world, uh, and in desperate need of, of Jesus, who can shepherd them, love them, give them the salvation and hope that they need. So as hard as it may be sometimes, as much as we may sometimes want to respond to the world in anger or respond to the world with, uh, with, with argument or, or just ignore them and leave them to their fate, well, actually our first and primary response should be compassion. And without Jesus, any person is going to hell and eternal punishment from God. Without Jesus, they're just sheep without a shepherd and it's... It's incumbent upon those who are cheap to him as well. Sometimes it may, may, may take extreme effort and be incredibly frustrating, like uh, it's pretty hard to get uh, one lone rebellious sheep back to the flock. You, you run and slip and fall and get muddy and dirty and sweaty and you, you just want to leave them to their own devices perhaps. Chasing this rebellious creature can be so frustrating. But it's worth it in the end to have the sheep back in the fold, you to make that effort, even when you don't want to. Uh, what's the second principle here uh, that we can apply to ourselves? What does Jesus do next as he looks with compassion on the lost sheep of Israel? Well, of course, he immediately sends out the 12 disciples on a rescue mission. Go get them, boys, he says. Go preach the kingdom. Actually, wait a minute. No, that's, that's not the very next thing that he does. Uh, there's a step in between Jesus viewing the crowds with compassion and sending out the 12 to preach the kingdom. The second thing we hear from Jesus is to pray. Uh, chapter 9, verses 37 and 38 
Have a look there with me. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When we look out on the, on the world and have compassion uh, for the lost and the helpless, we should pray uh, to God. We should come before God and ask for workers for the harvest. The harvest is the Lord's after all. The harvest belongs to the Lord, Jesus says. It's his harvest and his harvest field. Uh, so it's him we're to ask to send workers. Uh, what we're looking at when we see the lost masses living in rebellion against God and his King Jesus is a ripe field ready for harvesting. And if anyone is equipped to send workers into that field, it's, it's God. Uh, we put effort into all sorts of things when we, when we aim to share the gospel. Uh, all manner of necessary steps occur to us. We think theological training, missions training, uh, evangelism strategies and materials, uh, fundraising and church planting strategies, pathways to guide Christians to maturity and into gospel work, uh, targeted areas of need, Bible translation, all really good ideas and helpful steps toward effective gospel work, uh, all helpful steps in sharing the gospel with the lost. But if anything is done without first praying, that's done in vain. The harvest and the harvest field is God's. He knows who the lost are and how they will be saved. He is the one to send out workers, not us ultimately. Evangelism, discipleship starts with prayer. The, the fields will be harvested as the Lord of the harvest sends out workers. Uh, and if the workers enter that field but are not the ones the Lord has sent, well, they won't be reaping any fruit. Now, how much time uh, do we spend praying to the Lord of the harvest? Uh, how much time do we spend praying that God will send workers into the harvest field? Uh, as a church, we pray... Uh, weekly in church uh, for various mission fields. I mean, we pray once a month for a variety of need, needs. 8 a.m., the first Saturday of the month, we uh, pray then for, for missions, among other things. We pray regularly in growth groups sometimes for, for, for gospel workers. Uh, we pray occasionally for QTC and the students there. Some of our time, perhaps sometimes a lot of our time, is spent asking God to send workers into the harvest field. I think we could pray for it a whole lot more, couldn't we? we? We want mission to happen. We want people to be trained and to go out and to spread the gospel. But it's often not the first thing we do as we consider evangelism. It's, it's not always uh, the, the key part of our prayer life, praying for God to send workers into the harvest field. But it is an incredibly encouraging activity. Because how wonderful is it to know, well, actually, it's, it's God that's in charge of all of this. It's his field. It's his harvest field. And, and he's the one who sends the workers. The, the, the task of evangelism can seem insurmountable. You know, how can we possibly reach the lost? There are so many of them. How can we possibly convince them to accept Jesus as Lord? They seem so get set against Jesus and anything to do with him. Well, the answer is, that's actually God's concern, not yours. Uh, it's his field, his harvest. God is sovereign. He is the one to send the workers and the work will be done, the lost saved, according to his plan. 
And that's what we pray. That's why we pray first and foremost. That's God, his wisdom and his power that all gospel work hinges on. So we pray. And as you pray, don't forget that you ought to be also willing to go. Uh, How much time do you spend personally asking God to send workers into his harvest field? And how much time do you spend praying that God will send you? Too often we pray with the thought of someone other than us being sent. Uh, And of course we pray for others to be sent, but we also need to accept our part in God's mission. Uh, The workers in the harvest don't need to fit any particular category, don't need to have a uh, a Bible college degree, they don't need to be planning to go overseas to share the gospel, they don't need to be a certain age or gender. The harvest field is not somewhere remote and exotic, you just have to walk out into the street to see the harvest field. Fields are ripe all around us in Australia where half the population claims some belief other than Christianity and of the roughly half who do tick Christian on the census form, uh, a much, much smaller percentage actually darken the door of a church regularly uh, or practice their faith in any meaningful way. Uh, We're surrounded by the helpless and harassed who need to find and follow the shepherd if they're to have any hope for this life or the next. And so how often do you pray that God will send workers into this harvest field and When you pray, do you hope and expect that God will send you? Like they say, be careful what you ask for. Uh, And when we ask God to send workers into the harvest field, we're expressing a desire to do our part. This, The work of evangelism, the work of disciple-making, it's for all disciples. It's for all disciples. Uh, We've been talking about that principle for about 12 months now, and if if you're not willing to go to enter the harvest field to share your faith in uh, wherever it might be and wherever you have the opportunity, well, then you might not be praying with, with quite the right intent. The very next step uh, for Jesus is actually uh, himself to send out workers into the harvest field. Uh, I wonder whether the disciples were expecting that. Uh, they may or may not have felt particularly equipped the task but Jesus sends them with his authority to do the things he's been doing healing illness driving out demons and preaching the kingdom of heaven Uh, have a look again at verses 5 to 8 with me Uh, Matthew 10 verses 5 to 8 these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I mentioned before that not all of Jesus' instructions to uh, the disciples in this instance will be instructions directly to us. And here we have some instructions that were specific to his disciples at the time and some instructions that can be more broadly applied to Christians today. Uh, Jesus' command to avoid the Gentiles and Samaritans was specific to the situation he and the disciples were in. The announcement of the kingdom was first given to those who were already part of the people of God, the Jews. Uh, And we see throughout the Gospels, this is where Jesus put 
uh, most of his efforts, the, the Jewish people were the lost sheep who would hear of the kingdom first. And then after Jesus had uh, made his sacrifice on the cross, uh, risen to life again and prepared to take his seat by the Father in heaven, well, then the broader mission uh, would, would be announced. So when we come to the end of Matthew, uh, we see where the disciples are to go as they enter the harvest field. Uh, as we see Jesus' instruction to his disciples at the very end of the gospel, Matthew 28, verse 19, and the first half of verse 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, once Jesus had given his life for forgiveness of sin and risen to life again, providing eternal life for all who would believe, well, then the gospel would go out to the entire world. We, we, we see this all through the Bible, that this is the, the intention all along, but on this occasion, on this occasion as Jesus first uh, sends his 12 disciples out, they're only to go uh, to, to the Jews. Uh, but the primary command there at the end, uh, at the end of Matthew, uh, is to go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and this becomes a command for all disciples throughout all time as the teachings passed on, as each new disciple is taught all that Jesus taught the original 12, including that command to go and make disciples. Uh, noticeably absent too in Matthew 28 is the command that Jesus gave the 12 in, verse, uh, in chapter 10, uh, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Uh, the miraculous signs that Jesus describes here, uh, he gives his disciples authority on this occasion, uh, but are not necessarily part of the ongoing mission for all Christians at all time. Uh, they may be present in different places and in different times, and the disciples... Uh, certainly, as we read through the book of Acts, they certainly continue to demonstrate the power of the gospel with various signs and wonders. But it's not an ongoing command or expectation as we enter the harvest field today. So the disciples are sent out by Jesus, uh, and they are able to rely utterly on him as they go. Uh, this is the way Jesus... Uh, he tells them they're not to take money or spare clothes. Everywhere they go, uh, they'll be accepted by some and not by others, but they're to rely completely on God's provision through his people as they go. They're to proclaim the kingdom, and, and those who welcome them will provide for them. Uh, the worker is worth his keep, Jesus says in verse 10. There's a principle here that's, that's good to keep in mind today too. Uh, Self-funded ministry... Uh, is not usually the way to go. Uh, the fact that others are willing and able to provide for gospel ministry is often a good sign that that ministry is, is, is valid and worthwhile, that the person doing the ministry is approved and capable. Uh, if there's no one willing to fund a particular gospel ministry or if, if someone simply pays their own way just because they can, well, that can be a sign, not always, but it can be a sign that the impetus is coming from man and not God. We've got to remember it's God who sends his workers into his harvest field. Uh, we don't simply send ourselves. And so relying on God through his people uh, to fund the ministry is a wise principle. 
Jesus' instruction to the disciples in the verses up to verse 15 is also telling. Uh, some will accept the disciples as they go and some will not. Uh, he gives them a hint of the, the, what the results of their, this mission they're about to bar- embark on will be. Some will accept them as uh, some, some will accept the message and, and some will not. And those who do not accept them do not accept the message. Uh, and by not inviting the disciples in, they invite judgment on themselves. Chapter 10, verse 15. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now Sodom and Gomorrah are famous for all the wrong reasons. Uh, for a town to receive greater judgment than them Well, they've practiced some pretty ardent rejection of God. Uh, This theme continues through to the end of chapter 10 and we'll continue next week looking at these two responses to the gospel of the kingdom. Looking at these two responses and we'll look at the cost of following Jesus in this world. At this stage, we take on board the principles Jesus demonstrates here for us. Uh, the world will very easily move on from considering the momentous news that God's son Jesus. Uh, the world will very, very easily move on from, from Christmas and, and all, its, all its trappings and the, 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 the way that we celebrate and the different aspects of Christmas. Uh, now, I think there's some positives to that. Uh, I think there are some good things about not doing the things we do at Christmas all of the year. Uh, I don't know if you had Christmas crackers at your Christmas celebrations yesterday, uh, but the little jokes that come in the Christmas crackers. Uh, I've just got one example for you. Uh, what kind of motorcycle does Santa ride? A Holly Davidson. <laughs> More of you laughed than I expected you to. Uh, they're terrible. Christmas cracker jokes are awful. I'm glad we don't do any, have those the rest of the year. Uh, the world moves on, moves on, and that can be a good thing, but actually, mostly, that the message that we celebrate, the joy that we have, the hope that we have at Christmas, that's something we have every single day of the year as Christians. Uh, the world kind of forget it after Christmas Day. They divert their attention to the next big thing, they, the next celebration that they, uh, to try to bring meaning and purpose to life. As disciples of Jesus, well, we need to do all we can to keep Jesus on the agenda. Uh, we ought to have compassion for the lost as Jesus did. Uh, keep, keep, uh, we ought to pray that God would send workers into the harvest field and we ought to be willing to go ourselves uh, in whatever capacity, with whatever opportunities that present, keep bringing attention, keep pointing to King Jesus, the Saviour who was born, who we serve, who has given us uh, salvation and the hope of eternal life. We need to be continue clearly proclaiming the kingdom and seeking that the lost will be saved. Hard thing to do as we move on uh, and as uh, we... we live in a world that doesn't actually want to hear that much about it. But we persevere and we pray and we keep relying on God's power uh, to extend his mission and share his gospel around the world. Let's pray about this right now. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
We praise you for your love and compassion. We praise you because you are a God who has compassion for the lost. You are a God who shows love and mercy and provides a way for sinners to be saved. You are a God who sends workers into your harvest field. You are a God who saves the lost through the sacrifice. We praise you that through his death on our behalf, his resurrection to life again, that we can have salvation, forgiveness for sin and the hope of eternal life. We pray that you would help us in sharing this message with the world, especially living in a place where so many simply don't want to hear the message or are completely ignorant of it. Help us. Help us to share this news clearly and compassionately. We pray that others uh, would be sent, that more and more uh, would be equipped and trained and, and enabled to go out and share the good news uh, in Australia and around the world and that your gospel, the good news of your son Jesus, would go out and people would be called into your kingdom. We pray that this might happen for your glory, Lord, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.